I want to really share my heart with you of what the message of this book is, the heart of it, the core of it. And the theme we've had this year is, who is this man, speaking of Jesus? Today, we're going to read the scriptures in Matthew chapter 9, where it speaks about Jesus' compassion. He is the one who came incarnate into this world to be in our lives like us, and then he took care of us in the process. He never came against us. He always came for us. This is the message of incarnate, how we're here to help other people. We're not against anybody, but how we can give our hearts away for people that might be in challenging situations. The word incarnate has stayed with me since the day it was spoken to me in the middle of the journey that this book begins telling the story. It's really a, the book is a story. There's not like how-tos, not going to get 10 how to do something specific. It really is a heart issue. And that's my hope is that if, as you read through the book, you catch the heart of it, that we can experience Jesus' life and what he thinks like and what his heart is like and adopt that and adapt that into our lives. It's a heart change that I experienced that I'm trying to share with you and the world in a way that I'm prayerful would be an encouragement to you. I had gone to live on the streets among the homeless for two weeks. We had an intent of raising money for the winter sanctuary that we were involved with at the time. The city had not been able to fund the infrastructure this particular year, and the mayor asked if I could help, and this idea came for me to live on the streets and have people donate to get me off the street. After week one, the money had come in, and I could have gone home, but I felt compelled deeply in my heart to stay. There was something happening that I couldn't explain. I couldn't articulate it even to myself, but I knew that God was causing me to see the world differently in a way that would help me. And hopefully, perhaps it would help others if I could communicate that heart change. Second week of being on the street, I'm in a small group and have been for a number of years of men. I got invited into this group to be one of six. And in that, I wasn't coming as the pastor of the group. And that was a condition for joining the group. It's the one place in my life that I lay down my pastor label, and I'm just one of the guys. It's been really refreshing to me to be able to experience encouragement, to do life together with other men where we talk about the things we're going through and we receive help from one another and prayers, and we talk about the things of God when we meet together Wednesdays at 7 a.m., so that meeting was coming up that second week, and I thought maybe I'd make my way there. They weren't expecting me to come, but I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't have any agenda, just trying to figure out what to do every day living on the street. I showed up at that meeting, and as I was telling the story that I was walking through on day 11, I found it was the first time I'd really tried to process it. Now I'm with friends that I'm doing life with, and just freely talking about what I was experiencing. And things began to happen even as I was talking that I didn't expect I got emotional and began to feel things that I wasn't sure even where it was fully coming from. 
And it felt that same emotion in our group. Others were feeling it, and we were really just living from the moment, trying to sense what God was saying and doing. And it was in that expression that one of the men in the group, Glenn Murray, said one word. He said, incarnate. That's all he said. And I paused and thought for a moment and then asked, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, that's what you've done. You've gone incarnate into other people's lives and you're feeling it. You're experiencing that differently through their experience. And ever since that moment, that word incarnate, I haven't been able to get out of my consciousness. And it's a theological word that I've known. Known what that meant. I was trained in Bible school and seminary that Jesus is the incarnate one. He came from heaven and he takes on the form of humanity. He, it's the incarnation. And in doing that, as I started thinking about Jesus in that light, it caused me to sense what he was saying to me, even through that word, that here he comes to a broken people. He comes to me in my form. And I am a mess. I've made a mess of my life. Everyone, all humans have. And Jesus doesn't say to us, get your act together, figure it out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He says, hey, let me take care of your problem for you. And the one who came incarnate into my brokenness becomes broken for me in order to heal me, in order to give me forgiveness. He turns graves into gardens. He does that for me and he does that for you. It began to cause me to think then, if I'm incarnate into someone else's brokenness, why should I say to that person who's messed up, hey, come on. Why don't you get your act together? You got yourself in this mess. Why don't you get yourself out of it? It's Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't do that to me. Who am I to do that for anybody else? And it completely began to shape how I see the world and see others. And it's important to me to grasp that because I see it lived out differently among many where we still have the sense of being getting our life in line and having some things get worked out and we see someone else who doesn't, that we become very critical of them. It's a lot of the word and message out of the evangelical world today is how bad others are who aren't on the path that we're on. And there's a lot of name calling, there's a lot of belittling, and there's a lot of adversarial kinds of reactions and responses to those who aren't walking in the path that we're walking in. And what strikes me is that's a missing the mark of who Jesus is and what he's called us to be. We're called to be like him. And if he being perfect comes and doesn't tell me to get my act together, but helps me by carrying my burden on himself, that I can then get it together by his grace, then maybe I can give some grace to people that are in need and see them find a way through as well. I have had a transformation in how I see the world. Now I see it through the lens of incarnation. Let me read the scripture to you today in Matthew chapter nine and verse 35. We've been going through the book of Matthew earlier. I've really skipped over these few verses, so let's just revisit this section. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That verse right there is gripping. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's a certain way of seeing people that are broken and messed up, that he would see them that way. Why didn't he see them as evil? Why didn't he see them as horrible? Why didn't he see them as people that created their own misery and give them a word? Like, you need to do this. Yet when Jesus saw people that were broken, he saw the crowds, and he was moved with compassion. That's a very different response than being moved with judgment, being moved with being aggravated or agitated. Jesus saw the crowds. They were harassed and helpless is the way he described them. Harassed by the enemy, helpless to figure out their own way, like sheep without a shepherd. And here comes the great shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd that we all need. And here comes the shepherd seeing the need of the people and saying, I'll give them some guidance. I'll give them some love. I'll show them the way to the green pasture. I'll show them the way to the water that they can drink that's pure. I'll show them to the shade trees by the water. I'll give them peace. I'll help them through. They're harassed and they're helpless. I'm going to help them. This is what Jesus did for people that were that made a mess of their journey. Then he transitions in this section to speak to us. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He describes what he's like in response to us. And then he speaks to those who have received his shepherding and are falling into place and into alignment with his will and design for their life. And then he says, here's what you can do. You see, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people that are not in a good place. There are so many people that are broken and they don't know what to do. So many people that are harassed. So many people that if they could find the pathway to the good shepherd, it would change them forever. The harvest is plentiful. When I look around today, that verse stands out to me as clear reality of the day that we're living in. The harvest is plentiful. When I look around and I drive around this community, I'm driving through neighborhoods thinking about house after house after house, apartment buildings with rows and rows of apartments, and seeing people living on the streets. And no matter where, seeing high rises where there are people in penthouses and everywhere people are. So many people, and here we are on the Lord's Day today, and we've come together because we've followed the Good Shepherd, and we're thankful that we have that revelation, but I sense how many people don't have that revelation yet, and what is our opportunity? The harvest is plentiful. There's so many people that aren't yet in the place of blessing, aren't yet in the place of favor, of understanding God's favor, 
But the laborers are few. How many of us are trying to help them? How many of us are there trying to guide them, speak words of life to them to help move them out of the place of harassment into the place of blessing? Here's some things that Jesus did not say that his followers would be known for. He did not say that we would be known for our opinions. We have a lot of them, I know I do. He did not say that we would be known for who we voted for. And yet, man, in the day that we live, that's become a big thing. Who did you vote for? <laughs> Christians would be in one camp or another is the way some people look at it. It's not the way God looks at it. At least he never said that. He doesn't say that his followers would be known for the car they drive or their job title or for their social media following, for where they live, for the music they listen to. He did say what we would be known for, his followers. He said that we would be known for our love for others, for our compassion in essence. They will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. How will people know that we are Christ ones, Christians? Christians, that word just means we, we belong to Christ. We are part of his family. We are Christ ones. They will know we are Christians. How will people know who we are? By our love. Not by our positions on all the issues of the day. Not by all the things that we tend to want to make the big reason for who we are and what we do. They'll be known as Christ followers by how they love, by their compassion. If Jesus comes incarnate into my world and sees the brokenness of the people around and the crowds, and he says, wow, these people are harassed. These people are scattered, and they're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. They're not sure where to go to get the pasture that is healthy for them or the brook that will satisfy them. People don't know what to do, and Jesus is moved with compassion. Then he's calling his followers to be like him. After he describes himself and how he views the crowds, then he says, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. My followers are few as far as how many are helping the harvest to come in, and it's urgent. What can we do to be all about that? Jesus came for our good, not for his. And he came for all people, not just poor people, rich and poor people. We had a book release earlier this month, the day that the book came out, and we gathered our staff and our board and a group of men that were in my group, we, we gathered to celebrate the book release. And at that gathering, we were at a restaurant downtown, a beach hut deli. They have a nice patio right by the doco. It's a great spot. And that day, uh, they had just had a baby, <laughs> Sean and Katie. They had their first child, was born the day of our book release. So they obviously didn't show up. But they had a team that served us. And while we were having that time together, I read some excerpt from the book and then a few shared. And Glenn Murray, who said that word incarnate, came up to share some thoughts. And one of the things he said was, you know, what Pastor Rick has done among the homeless is beautiful. He said, what God's called me to do is to the 
penthouses where the CEOs live, and here's a business leader who knows how to speak life to other business leaders, and he does Bible studies for people in high places, and he said they're broken as much as the person living on the street, and it so touched me again to realize that this isn't about one dimension of life. This is about how this message of Jesus applies to whomsoever will. Rich and poor, we all are broken. The same, we are all the same. Why should we look down on one person or think more highly of another person? The person in that high penthouse office is as broken as the person living on the street. If they don't have the compassion of Jesus in their heart, they are scattered, they are harassed. And it struck me again that the message of this book and the heart of it applies to everyone. And it's not separating off one segment of people saying, this is what we all need to do. No, we all need to get the heart of Jesus for all people. Here's what he calls us to do, verse 38. Prayer is an important task of the harvest. Prayer. He says, pray. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's not just go, it's pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will speak to his followers to also go and do what he's called us to do. The best way that we can see the harvest reached is to pray first. And this is something that God put in my heart earlier this year is that we should re-emphasize our prayer effort. So Wednesdays, we're praying at seven o'clock. And I don't in any measure have the desire to try to speak this message to you today manipulatively, just from my heart of how I'm feeling and what I'm sensing. is This is something I feel like God has called us to do, to follow his word. This is what Jesus said, pray earnestly because the harvest is plentiful and it's urgent that we reach that harvest field. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out labors. So this prayer meeting to me is vital to our mission in the world. In my sense of what God wants to do today, this COVID situation we've been through is the most amazing season of our entire lifetime. Hopefully it will never be repeated. And now we're trying to figure out where we go from here. What's the new normal? People are trying to figure that out. There's prognosticators of what it's gonna look like. Things have changed, people's habits have changed. What's the church gonna look like? I don't know and I'm not here to even venture a guess, but one thing I do know is that I want to follow this book and catch the heart of it. And Jesus said, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest. So here's what I feel. Here's, here's my prognostication if you want one. I think what we'll do is just pray really hard and see God do some miracles. And so the future is filled with greater possibilities than ever. The future will have more outreach, will have more impact we'll have more blessings because we'll get the heart of Jesus for the brokenness of our world. And when we pray to him to send us out so we can reach those that haven't yet heard, I think the future is gonna be the most amazing thing that we could imagine. It's beyond our wildest dreams. That's how I feel about it because this is what God has called us to do. So seven o'clock on Wednesdays, I know it's hard to get here. There's, it's hard for me. I get to like, Four o'clock in the afternoon, man, hits me hard. Like, take me to Starbucks quickly. 
I got a prayer meeting to go to at seven. I wish I could just go home. I don't know how many times on Wednesdays I feel like that. I'd really like to go home right now. And I can't. It's, I committed to this. It's my job. And I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. And then once I get there, I'm thinking, I'm sure glad it's my job because that was powerful. That helped me. I feel lifted by it. I know it's not possible. I'm not trying to, again, put any guilt trips on anybody. I just want to lay it out there. If you can ever come, do, because this is following the scriptures. We're going to pray, therefore. We can pray wherever we're at, too, so there's no guilt trip on anybody for anything. But I have this sense of things that the more we gather to pray, the more we're going to experience compassion in the outpouring of God's Spirit. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our own humanity. This is something really important in the journey. We recognize our own brokenness. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Me too. That was me. I I didn't have anything to offer. Jesus came and rescued me. I'm a broken soul, now healed by his grace and by his compassion. Only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. I know, but for the grace of God, there go I. So as I was walking with homeless people for two weeks, sleeping where they sleep, eating where they eat, going to loaves and fishes, sitting in Cesar Chavez Park, talking to people, some of them out of their mind, some of them addicted, some of them more in just a hard space, able to find their way through it. Such a variety and layers of people what I began to feel was something I didn't expect. I began to feel compassion where I hadn't had it in that same measure before, where I had dismissed people. Now I felt their pain. I felt their brokenness. I felt like, man, that's me. You're me. I'm broken too. And when I can acknowledge my own brokenness and my own humanity, then I can have compassion for other people. When I'm not looking at myself as superior to somebody that's in a really dark place, when I know that I have darkness without Jesus, now I can see the darkness of someone else and feel their pain, and I begin to feel it. Now there's something that has happened inside of me. Sometimes I feel like it ebbs and flows because I can dismiss it out of my mind. I can kind of push it out of my heart. But then I can't fully. It keeps coming back to me. It keeps coming back to me in moments like this right now. I begin to feel it. I feel the emotion rise up inside of me. I can see the faces of people and feel their brokenness. And all of a sudden, compassion comes into my heart and soul. And I don't feel dismissive of them. And I don't feel accusatory toward them. And I don't feel like saying all kinds of evil things about them. I feel like going to them. I feel like sitting with them. I know that our men have gone out right now with groceries to find homeless people on the street to love on them and to share Christ's spirit with them. And I think, how beautiful is that? Would we have done that if I hadn't walked through this journey? That this heart is being caught by many. And when we catch the heart of compassion, that's the heart of Jesus. Who knows what we'll do? And it's not that we all do that. Someone else is going to go to the penthouse and sit with the CEO whose marriage has fallen apart and whose sense of the burden they carry for their financial 
business is, is concerning and there, there's somebody there to say, hey, I feel your brokenness and I know how to help you. It's not doing one thing only. It's doing whatever God puts in our heart to do. The harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Holy Spirit, Father God, Lord Jesus, send forth the laborers. We have work to do. Jesus came to serve the incarnate one. Incarnate is a story of having compassion for others. It's a heart story. In the book, you find the story of Rabbi Mona Alfi. She is the leader at B'nai Israel. I had gotten into friendship with her, and in the journey, the synagogue there near Land Park was celebrating a 15-year anniversary, celebrating the wrong word, commemorating a 15-year anniversary of a bombing that occurred. Some anti-Semitic persons intentionally bombed the synagogue and caused great damage. And they had a 15-year remembrance of that so that it would not be forgotten. And she asked if I would come and just share a thought, and there were other leaders. And I was honored and went, and I felt Jesus there with people, Jewish followers, seeking after God. There's some differences in our faith journeys, but I sure felt united to their heart. I sure felt their spirit. I sure felt the compassion of Jesus in that moment and remembering that we're all in this together and it was a special moment for me. And at that event, Imam Aziz from the Muslim mosque was there too and they were having a Ramadan event just not many days after this and he asked if I would come to that and share some of what are our Christian traditions at the Ramadan event, they break a fast with a big feast and they gather about 500 Muslim followers in a banquet hall and I wasn't sure what to do. I'd never been asked to do that before and we have a lot of challenges with how we view the Muslim faith and Muslim people. We have 9-11 and there's all kinds of fear attached and not all Muslim followers are extremists. Many are just hungry for God and have been trying to find him in the path that they were trained in, the country they were born in, where they come from. And I responded to that and went, and I felt Jesus there. I feel him here every time I come here. What we're here for is to experience Jesus. But you know what? I felt him uniquely there. It was powerful to me. Feeling the, the grace of Jesus, feeling compassion, doing my best to speak life and represent Jesus in that assembly. There was a journalist from the B that had followed me there that had been at the event at B'nai Israel. He wanted to write an article about it, and I asked him not to because not everybody understands walking in these settings. And 
he wrote it anyway, and I got some pushback for it, and I felt okay, because it's like, I know I followed Jesus there. But we have a way of looking at the world that's not necessarily Jesus' way. This is the heart of this book, is to say, you can be in a Jewish synagogue, and you can be in a mosque, and you can be in a Christian sanctuary, and you can be in a high-rise, and you can be in Tent City. You can go to Loaves and Fishes, and you can go wherever people are and have compassion, because Jesus does. When he sees the crowd, he's moved with compassion, for he sees that they are hurting and harassed and scattered like sheep without a shepherd, and the heart of Jesus is moved toward them, and I feel my heart being moved toward them too, and I got invited into a committee to try to eliminate AIDS in our community a number of years ago, and would I be a part of helping people get tested for AIDS? I went to CARES that serves those that are battling with this this issue, and I got tested myself. We ended up having a testing site here at our church on a Sunday where we had people from CARES come, and anyone who wants to get tested, we had a couple of weeks where it was very tastefully done. It was very unusual to encourage Christian people to get tested for AIDS. And when I explained that I was tested too, one of the weirdest things I had experienced in my life was waiting for the test results. Of all things, I, I was hoping it would come back negative, that I'd be fine. Like, I wasn't aware of any risky behaviors, but man, it still is hanging in your mind. And it caused me to realize I'm a broken person. I'm a broken person living among a lot of broken people, and the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. And maybe I can go there. And my heart began to change toward LGBTQ community and say, well, everybody's welcome here. Come on in because Jesus came for all and he died for every soul. What is the need? We want our church to be full of broken people because that's who we are. And instead, sometimes we get on our bully pulpit and we say all kinds of things about this group and about that group and we're looking at the humans around us as enemies and we're going to war with them instead of looking at them as humans that are broken, that are sheep without a shepherd that Jesus came with great compassion for. And in my heart, I began to feel differently toward those of the LGBTQ community, and I still do. I see someone who has a different lifestyle than me, and my heart feels broken for every human soul and saying, I can wrap my arms around you, and you're welcome here too, because we leave things up to God. He becomes the judge of our soul and where we're going from here. I know my gospel. I know the truth that Jesus is the answer, that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. What we don't know is exactly how that happens, and that's what we need to leave in his hands. If we were the judge of the thief on the cross, he didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't get baptized. He was a big, hard mess, and he looks at Jesus and say, will you remember me today? And apparently that's all he needed to say because Jesus said back to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And when he looks at a woman caught in the act of adultery and they say she should be stoned, 
And he says, no, nah, I'm not going to let that happen. Now go and just don't do this anymore. He had compassion on this woman's brokenness. And when he's with the woman at the well who had five husbands and the one she's living with, she wasn't married to. And Jesus says, I can give you some water. You won't ever thirst again. He didn't look down on her with her brokenness. He saw her brokenness and he was moved with compassion. And he knew that her heart could be touched with his love and his mercy. How do we know when anybody responds to his love? How do we know what to do with David? We talk so favorably about him who had an adulterous relationship, who had that woman's husband killed, and we celebrate this great king who had a heart after God. Why? Because we know the end of the story. But man, if you're in the middle of it, what are you going to say to that crook? What are you going to say to that murderer? What are you going to say to that king who misuses his power and his authority? We could say all kinds of stuff to that guy. And what does God say? Oh, he's broken. He's broken, but I see that he still has something there toward me. And I'm going to help him through it. What do we know about the Muslim and whether they're going to make it to heaven or not? What do we know about the Jewish worshiper in the synagogue? Whether they're going to get to heaven? What do we know? I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. God is the judge, and we're supposed to leave that in his hands. And he knows everybody's heart. He knows that Muslim person who's trying to know God with everything within them. They're trying to try their best. And God knows when that person actually realizes that God's grace is for them. And <coughs> God knows when that person has actually opened their soul up to receive the message of Jesus and his love. And do they pray the same prayer I prayed? Maybe not. The thief on the cross didn't. He got there. Who am I to say that that Jewish person has still looking for the Messiah, that somehow in their journey with all the passions they have toward God, that there isn't a connection to Jesus? It's the blood of Jesus that forgives every human soul, no matter what. But only God knows whether that is applied to somebody's journey or not. To the LGBTQ community and the person trying to figure it out, there's so many heterosexual people in all kinds of deviant sexual sins, and we don't talk about that. We just say, oh, it's going to be okay. There's all kinds of things that we just kind of bypass. Why don't we just leave it in God's hands? And when we see people that are broken, instead of trying to label them, instead of trying to tell them what kind of doom and gloom is ahead for them, why don't we have compassion and say, hey, here's broken people, me too. I've got darkness in me, you got darkness in you. Let me come alongside and see what God can do for you. When George Floyd was killed, I was moved in my heart with compassion. It impacted me deeply. There was such an uprising of many who rallied around the reality that, man, this wasn't right. And there was big movement toward helping with the racial injustice issues. I studied that. I still study that often, trying to understand where we're at in our journey and how can we help? How can we change systemic issues that cause people to get stuck in a space that is not being treated properly. What can we do to make a difference? And now what do we get? More pushback saying, oh, you can't do that. You're putting guilt on people for this and for that. No, I'm actually putting compassion on my heart for people that are in a broken place. And when I can stop and listen to the black and brown person and just hear their story 
If I can stop talking long enough to let them talk and say, let me tell you how I'm feeling. Let me tell you what I've been through and what I'm going through. Let me tell you my journey. When I can study enough to realize that there's been a whole lot of oppression and there's been a whole lot of inhumane treatment and it's not very far back in our history. And when that touches me to realize, man, what can I do to let that not continue? I'm not taking on some crazy guilt trip for all white people. I'm saying, Jesus, I know that you care about this and somehow we need to do better and we can be better. And when we can find unity within the body of Christ across all racial lines and divides, then we're gonna be right in the sweet spot of God's love. Why do we have to push back when somebody wants to know more about somebody's dilemma? That really bothers me because it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem godly. It doesn't seem like Jesus. Humility will invite us to consider the pain of others as legitimate and worthy of our attention. When we're humble enough to say, hey, man, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I'm open. I'm humble enough to say I can hear your pain. I feel it. When I catch the spirit of Jesus, this, this is the heart message. That's my prayer is that you just get the heart of it. That's all. Just get the heart of it. You don't have to do any of the things that I've done. That's not the point of it. We've done this together. You already have. You've walked it with me. It's a heart. It's a heart message. And when we get the heart of the incarnate one, Jesus among the broken, when we stop vilifying people, when we stop calling people names, when we stop making ourselves better than somebody else, when we just humble ourselves, at that point, we're able to change the world. 